Well, good evening, everyone. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 8. Go there with us if you would. Daniel chapter 8 in our Bibles. We're going to have a great study tonight. You're going to have to uh, put on your thinking cap and stay with me, and it'll be a lot of fun. Someone said that their child came in here last week and said, listen to Pastor Kevin. So what did he talk about? He said, I don't know. I said, that's probably the case for a lot of people who come in here. <laughs> I don't know. I heard him, but I just ain't sure what he said. So anyway, that may be the case tonight if you don't pay very cautious attention to what we're looking at. Daniel chapter 8. Last week in chapter 7, we saw that Daniel had a vision in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. Tonight, if you look at chapter 8, you see that in the third year of his reign of Belshazzar, he had this particular vision that we're going to be looking at tonight. And we touched on a little bit of this last week, so we're going to kind of hit it, and then we're going to move over to chapter 9, which is going to be our big study. But I want you to see this vision as well. He says in verse 2, I saw in a vision, and it came to pass that when I saw that it was in Shushan, in the palace, in the province of Elam, I saw a vision. I was at the river Uli. Uh, then I lifted up my eyes, and I saw, and behold, there stood before the river Aram, which had two horns. Everybody say two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the other came up at the last. And the ram was pushing westward, northward, and southward. Notice it tells which direction he's pushing, and it's not every direction. It's three directions. The, the ram here, you know, sometimes in the Bible you have to really look to try to figure out what's being said. Other times the Bible just tells you what's being said. If you look at over the interpretation at verse 20, look at verse 20. The ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, so right off the bat, we have the interpretation who this creature is. And he's pushing, he's, he's defeating armies in these three directions. And we know who he is. And it talks about how the one horn uh, was, was greater than the other. The Medes were, in the beginning, the stronger, but the Persians vastly overtook them. And so that's who he's talking about. What I find really crazy and incredible, when you read, and I want to just throw this at you several times tonight and hope that we can just take as much of this home with us as we can. But when we read the Bible and we see that God has given Daniel a vision of something that's going to happen 300, 500 years later, and he gives him such particulars about what would take place. Like, for example, in the next vision about the goat, he's, we're going to see that the one horn in the center was Alexander the Great, how that when he that horn was broken off, how that four others' horn came up, which were the four colonels or leaders that took the kingdom after. How in the world could you have all of those particulars? Now, here's what I want to tell you. If God was that particular with Daniel, showing him the empire that would soon follow the one that he was presently in, then I wonder if there's some very strong particulars in the book of Daniel and Revelation about what is going to happen. We just hadn't seen it as such yet. I wonder, are we beholding things that we're not envisioning yet because they hadn't come to pass. It's easy to look at, you know, what I just read and look back and say, wow, that happened then. And he nailed it down so, so, so specifically. But looking forward, Daniel, I don't know if Daniel had any idea what he was seeing. He was just writing 
and asking questions. So really incredible. He has this vision. This is Daniel chapter eight. And first of all, he sees this ram and, and the scripture tells us that these are the Medes and the Persians. Okay. Verse six, the ram, uh, he came uh, to, well, let me back up to verse five. As I was thinking about the ram, a he goat, this is verse five, came from the West even the direction that he came from. It's incredible, the specifics here of the face of the whole earth. It was like he was covering the earth. You know how Alexander, he just conquered everything so fast. He didn't even touch the ground, man. The goat was, it had a notable horn between his eyes, which was Alexander the Great. Verse six, he, he came to the ram. That's the Medes and the Persians kingdoms. By the way, when Babylon was established so great and mighty, when Daniel had that first vision of how Babylon would fall, Namese and Persians would take over, and then Greece would come later, and then later we would see these kingdoms, Rome, and then the Antichrist, and then the kingdom of God. When he had these visions, I mean, can you imagine living in that kind of strength of Babylon and going, I just don't see how that could happen. Like I hear people today talk about America. I just don't see with a nuclear power and we're so strong and we're the dominant power. How could we just be knocked out of the whole thing if that's what's going to happen? How could that, I don't see how Russia could ever just be wiped off the map or how China, listen, it can happen just like that. So we see Daniel having this vision. So the first one he has is about a ram and he knows that's the Medes and the Persians. How does he know that's the Medes and the Persians? Look at verse 20. He says, the ram that you saw, the two horns are the Medes and the Persians. Look at verse 21. He's gracious enough to tell us that the goat is Greece. Thank you for doing that. We don't have to speculate. We know who it is. So we've seen the ram. We know that's the Medo-Persian kingdom. We've seen the goat now. Let's follow what happens. Verse eight, therefore the goat waxed very great. And when he was strong and he was young, Alexander the Great was young, the great horn was broken and four notable horns came up. And that's exactly what happened. And out of those came forth a little horn. Everybody say a little horn. Now, as we're traveling down the road, <clears throat> everything we've talked about thus far has been so easy. But here's where it gets tricky, okay? Because I'll go ahead and tell you up front, we're about to jump from a near and far interpretation. So we're gonna see a near interpretation of something that happened more so in Daniel's time and a far interpretation of what's gonna happen in the end time, okay? So be looking for that as we read because that's what's gonna happen. So it gets a little more tricky. Watch this now, verse nine. Out of, uh, out of one of them, out of one of the four, came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. <clears throat> did that happen? Well, we're going to talk about it in a minute. It did happen, and we'll talk about it. Uh, Antiochus of Epiphanes, you've probably read about him either in biblical history or maybe even in school. He, he came forth, and he really slaughtered a lot of Jerusalem, uh, he, he made it, he outlawed reading the Torah. He, he caused them to stop the Sabbath. He stopped the sacrifices. And lo and behold, he put an image in the Holy of Holies of Zeus. And the entire um, temple was corrupted. This caused such a rebellion from the Maccabees. Have you ever, ever read First and Second Maccabees? This caused such, and by the way, you say, wait a minute, we're talking about the Bible. We, you just went off in left field somewhere. Let me back up. 
Okay, so there's like 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, but it's not really silent because much was going on in Israel. It's just that God wasn't doing a whole lot prophecy and, and fulfillment in those years. So thus it's called the silent years. But that's, there's history of what was going on there. And some of that history is the Maccabees. Okay, so uh, you can read about that. And so this, this guy, Antiochus of, of Epiphanes, he was a terrible, he was out of the four, one of the ones that grew strong. And he tried to create a world empire, but it didn't work. He got slammed by the Romans many times and he took it out on Israel. And so, so, so here's what happened. They became so angry at this guy that they actually pushed him out in about three and a half to four years and they cleansed the temple. Okay, so let me just stop here and say, it's, follow me on this. It's real important that we get both of these. There was a guy who came in, a little horn, and he defiled the temple, okay? And they pushed him out. But at the same time, the little horn that we're really looking at is the Antichrist, who's going to come. You remember the scriptures that Jesus gave us in Matthew 24 that talks about this one that will come and it's called the abomination of desolation. In fact, a lot. In fact, would you just take a minute to turn to Matthew chapter 24 and let's look at this real quickly because I want you to see really amazing here the, the, uh, the near far interpretation and both of them is given and it's pretty, pretty amazing. Matthew 24, just hold your place in Daniel if you can. And go to Matthew 24. And, and uh, let's just pick it up. If you don't mind, I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, uh, let's look at verse 3, I guess. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to him and said, Tell us when these things shall be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Those are some powerful questions right there. <clears throat> Wouldn't you like to know all that? Well, here's what Jesus said. Take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you not be troubled. All of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. I just want to say something that just kind of flips this backwards on you a little bit. These that I just read to you, wars, rumor of wars, all these false crosses, these are not signs of the end. These are not signs. He, as a matter of fact, said these things will happen. They're not signs of the end. Did you notice that? Okay, so, so we stand up and say, these are all signs of the end. These are not signs. These are things that are going to happen as we move towards the end. But these are not the real signs of the end. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and you shall be killed and hated in all nations of my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and betrayed one another and hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. But because of iniquity shall abound the love and many shall wax coat. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. The gospel will be preached in all the world for witness that then the end will come. Now look at verse 15. Here it is. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken by who? Well, where are we at right now? <laughs> We're right in that verse. You know what Jesus did? First of all, he gave credence to Daniel and to what he's saying. It's going to happen. When you see, okay, let me ask a couple of questions here. How could the Jews in Jesus' day see Antiochus of Epiphanes go into the temple and offer sacrifice to Zeus? How could they see that? Well, they couldn't. 
So what's he talking about? It was a near far prophecy. He said, look, you remember historically this happened and it was written about in your history. But I want to tell you, there is another who's coming, a little horn, who will rise up and he will cause great torment on the Jews. And he will go in, by the way, how could you and I see anything in the holies of holies anyway? Who, who alone can go in the holy of holies? The high priest. And how could we see anything going on in there anyway? I'll tell you why. Because when this happens, CNN will be covering it. He's going to go in there and offer up, create an image, maybe even to himself, and defile the temple. Now listen, Jesus said, now look at the chapter again. When you see this guy do this, it was spoken by Daniel the prophet. If you're on your rooftop is where they would hang out like a back porch or front porch. That's where they would, they would be because their, their houses were built in the cave-like areas. So the rooftop would be like the porch. With you're on the rooftop, don't even bother to go in and get your clothes. You hightail it to the mountains. If you're in the field, don't bother to go back to the house and pick up something. You flee for your life. Woe unto you that are that are with child in those days. He just gives us a whole, a whole list of what? What is he even talking about? He says, look, the Antichrist is coming. He, you've seen a picture of this in the old days with Epiphanes, but there's one coming more powerful him, and that's the guy we're gonna be talking about. And when you see him go into the temple this next time, and he offers that sacrifice, which is the abomination of desolation, Jews, you flee. You get out of there as fast as you can. Because then there will be trouble like you've never seen before, not from the beginning or to the end of the world. Wow, that is incredible. So going back to Luke chapter 9, that's what we're talking about. There's this little horn, and he gives us such an amazing, uh, uh, yeah, what did I say? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's what I need, a lot of help. <laughs> Y'all help me. Okay, um, all right, let's look, let's look at Daniel chapter nine. Uh, and uh, let's see, Daniel begins to offer up uh, this incredible prayer as a result of all of this. And uh, while he was praying and seeing all of this, um, he... Uh, well, actually, let me just go back to chapter 8, because that's where we were. I'm about to get myself back in line. Okay, here we go. Chapter 8, verse 11. He, the guy, well, verse 10. He'll be great even to the host of heaven. I, I, I want to show you something. Go back to verse 9. A, a little horn. Here's the, here's the guy. A little horn. He'll be exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, towards the pleasant land, which is Jerusalem. Watch this. He, he'll wax great even to the host of heaven. Now, did Epiphanes wax great to the host of heaven? No, not even. We're talking about now near and far, the far. He, look, he cast down some of the hosts of the stars to the ground, the angels. Who did that? Satan. And he stamped on them. He magnified himself to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. We're talking about the Antichrist now. And the place of the sanctuary in Jerusalem was cast down. It's a near far prophecy. Both things are going on simultaneously. The host was given to him. Look, the daily sacrifice uh, by reason of transgression was cast down to the truth to the ground and it, as it practiced 
and, and, and prospered. Then I heard one of the saints speaking to another saint, which said unto uh, certain of the saints, which spake, how long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the transgression of desolation, to give both the sanctuary and the host that be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, 2,300 uh, days, and then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And it came to pass that when even I, I saw this vision and sought the meaning thereof, <clears throat> There was a man who came, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the river, which he, he, which he said, he's Gabriel. He said, make this man understand the vision. Gabriel, make this man. So here's the vision. Now let's see if we can understand what it's saying. <laughs> That's the easy part, right? We got the vision. Now let's see if we can understand. So he came near to where I stood, and I was afraid and fell on my face, and he said to me, understand, O man of God, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Underline that. At the time of the end. Another way of saying that is at the end of time. Okay. As he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and I sat upright. And he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed... The end shall be. When is it going to happen? It's the last at the end. Okay? He's making it real clear. It's the time of the end. It's the last. It's at the end of time. Then he shows us about the ram, which we already read. Then he shows us uh, of, about the goat that we already read. He says these will be broken up in verse 22, nations, but not in his own power. Look, look at that. That, too, is just telling you he's not talking about Antiquous epiphanies. Now, look at verse 22. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up and four kingdoms shall stand up on the nations, but not in his power. And the latter time of their kingdoms, when the transgressions are come to a full, a fierce king of, of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. At the latter time, there's going to come a guy and he's going he's gonna to be of a fierce countenance and he'll understand demonic things his power will be mighty but it's not his own power whose power is it satan's power he will destroy wonderfully he'll prosper and practice and shall destroy mightily and he'll destroy the holy people and through his policies he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand he'll magnify himself in his heart and 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 look at this by peace he will destroy many that is phenomenal that's the Antichrist. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. He don't try that with Christ. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And, and I, Daniel, fainted, fainted, and I was sick, and I was astonished. So much here. Let's look at it together real quickly. And this is not the host of what I want to share tonight but just take a good look at it. Here's kind of the outline that he gives us for what's going to happen. We see the two, the, the ram, with two horns, which are the Medes and the Persians. We see the goat with four horns, which was Alexander the Great, and the, his four captains that followed him. We see the little horn, which is both Epiphanes and the Antichrist. We see the defiling of the sanctuary that we talked about, both in the time of the Maccabeans, Maccabees and the time of the Antichrist, 
No sacrifices were being offered. They, I told you some of the stuff he did. The question of how long and 2,300 uh, days, was it years? 2,300 days the, and the cleansing of the temple. Okay, so let me just say a few things about all this and then you can ask any questions that you want to. First of all, I want to ask you uh, about some of these, uh, you know, when you think about these, uh, <laughs> some of it's a little difficult to understand in the interpretation, but he's going to destroy and he's going to, he's going to wreak havoc upon the Jews. And he specifically uh, talked about it, the temple being trodden down. How long? 2,300 days. <sighs> when Daniel asked about more directions on these 2,300 days, what did the angel tell him? Close up. I've heard so many interpretations on these 2,300 days. So you want to hear just a little bit of how they go? Okay, so um, it was that if you, if you take this 2,300 days, add this to it, half this, subtract it, multiply this, divide this by half, then it's going to give you the perfect number. Well, I just want to say, I never got it. I run all, I spent four days reading everything I could. And you know what I concluded? The interpretation, we don't know it. It was closed. We don't know it. No one was able to viably give an interpretation of what these days are. First of all, you know, the first thing that I read was the 2,300 days was not even real days. If you read the original text, it's 2,300 evenings and mornings, right? Okay, it's 2,300 evening and mornings, which is 1,150 which is about three and a half years. But I'll just say this. If you're just bent on knowing what it is, just live long enough <laughs> and you'll see it. But I want to say that I believe with all of my heart after days of reading, it has something to do with the abomination of desolation and the three and a half years that Jesus was talking about both in the old and in the new testament okay but it's sealed and we didn't get the interpretation and i don't think we're going to know what it is until we see it with our own eyes and that's really cool to me too because some things you could have never understood a thousand years ago so that's what i just wanted to share real quick briefly with you i also wanted to share uh one thing about um the the temple it talks about the tabernacle and it being um, defiled and then cleansed. But uh, I just wanted to share something real quickly. It touched me when I was dreaming about it, thinking about it. The idea of both the sanctuary being defiled and cleansed. The, the, the tabernacle was built by who in the wilderness? Moses and the children of Israel. And they, they built it by very, very specific instructions. Why? Why was it so specific? Because... The tabernacle on earth is a reflection 
of the tabernacle in heaven. You read that in your Bible? It's, it's, a refle- it's a prototype of the tabernacle. So God gave them very, very specific. In fact, it was meticulous how they were to build this tabernacle, okay? And its purpose was that God would dwell with his people, and God could dwell among his people, and uh, he could, he could, they could be purified by the offerings of these sacrifices. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would cleanse the temple and the people, and they would lay their hand on the other goat, and they would lead it out into the woods, and it would carry away the sins of the people. It was all such amazing and beautiful picture. The blood was placed upon the mercy seat and uh, the sacrifices were taken there. They offered there for the sins of the people and the people's sins were cleansed once a year and then daily sacrifices were made on the other altars. The tabernacle was designed to be mobile in their day because why? They were traveling so God could be with them as they traveled. Such a beautiful picture. After coming to the promised land, they, what did God have them to do? He had them to build a temple for him and they brought the tabernacle into the temple and they placed it inside in a permanent setting and the high priest would go into the holy of holies and that was what was going on and happening in some of those years and I I just want to read from Hebrews you may want to go there because it it, it is so beautiful and so amazing in chapter four I want to read a few verses here in the book of Hebrews it just kind of shows us something really really important about the tabernacle and about the earthly tabernacle and so in chapter four in verse 14 I want to pick up a couple verses seeing then you have a great high priest. Everybody say high priest. Seeing then you have a great high priest that has passed into heavens, into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, which were all point tempted like as we are yet without sins. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament, but Jesus has made it possible by ripping the veil and now we can come boldly into the throne of grace because of our high priest. Chapter 8, I want to read you a couple of verses in chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Listen to this. Now of the things which we have spoken, the sum of them, which we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Think about that. We have a high priest, not the earthly high priest, but has set on the throne of majesty, a minister of the sanctuary. Think about this. That's what they were. Ministers of the sanctuary, offering up the sacrifice sacrifices and the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man come on somebody he pitched the tabernacle in heaven he is the high priest we have a way to go in now for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices whereof it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer for if he were on earth he should have not been a priest seeing that there is a priest that offers gifts according to the law here who served unto the example and a shadow of heavenly things. That's what it is. It's a prototype. As Moses had admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see that he had, thou shalt make all things, watch this, according to the pattern that I have shown thee there on the mount. And then finally, chapter nine and verses one, look at this. Then verily uh, the first covenant that we had are ordinances of divine services. That's what the priest would do. There were ordinances of services of a worldly 
sanctuary. That's what it was, a worldly tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick, the table, showbread. It was called the sanctuary. After was the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called holiest of all, which we had golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, where the golden pots were and the man and Aaron's rod had but in the tables of the covenant and over in the cherubims and the glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always first into the tabernacle accomplishing the services of God, but into the second went to the high priest alone once a year without, uh, not without blood. He offered for himself and for the heirs of his people, the Holy Ghost signifying this, the way of the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing, which was a figure of things uh, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make uh, him that did this service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and various washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them till the time of the Reformation. But Christ being come the high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect sacrifice or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not a building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, by his own blood, he entered in one time into the holy place, having obtained redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes and heifers and the sprinkling of unclean, unsanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit who offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God I find that incredible what we observe down here in the earthly the high priest first of all the priest offering sacrifices cleansing and offering a going into the Holy of Holies. I want you to know that in heaven, there is the real tabernacle. And the real high priest has gone into the Holy of Holies, not offering the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood in heaven for you and me who have cleansed our sins completely and totally forever. <laughs> so I just said all that to say this. Don't worry about the Antichrist messing up the temple down here. I think we're going to be in good shape with the temple up there. <laughs> okay. Now, as much as I got excited about that and I loved it, that's not really what I wanted to talk about tonight. I want to talk about this next chapter. Okay. And it is incredible. Look at chapter nine and verse one. I got to get a drink. Anybody want to say anything about chapter eight? I know we just blew through there, but this chapter nine has kept me up. And I just can't wait to get into it with you. It's so amazing. Okay, y'all wanna, wanna go? Let's go. Verse one, chapter nine. Let me get back from Hebrews. Okay, in the first year of Darius, Daniel. What did I say? I didn't say anything. Hey, would you do me a favor, Robert? Watch her, I think she's got it in for me. <laughs> Daniel, I'm sorry. We were in Hebrews. Daniel 9. I love this chapter. Amen. Here we go. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherah, 
the seed of the Medes, which was made king in the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, stood by the brook uh, the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years of desolation on Jerusalem. So Daniel was still living in the captivity and he was reading the book of Jeremiah and he discovered while he was reading that 70 years were determined upon the people of captivity, okay? He saw that from the book of Jeremiah, which is uh, pretty incredible. Um, Jeremiah is a large book, and I just want to say this again. I have a feeling that there are massive amounts of Scripture about our time that would show us so much when we see it. It's going to be great, and we're going to understand it, okay? If God gave Daniel all this about his time, and he gave us all this stuff about our time, there's bound to be a lot of stuff in there. Uh, I'll sh show you how easy it is to miss, though. Uh, when Daniel was reading Jeremiah, evidently he hadn't seen this before. So he was reading Jeremiah, and it, and it dawned on him that 70 years were determined upon the children of Israel. Uh, I'll tell you how easy it is to miss something when you're reading it. Does anybody know where Daniel read that from? He read it from one of your most favorite scriptures. It's really incredible. How many of you have ever read Jeremiah 29? I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Guess what? Daniel was reading. You, you go look at it real quickly. You ain't going to believe this. Daniel was reading this in Jeremiah 29. As many times as you've read it and I've read it, I wonder if this ever jumped off the page to us. Look at, look at, uh, look at Jeremiah 29 and the heading before you start reading the chapter. What does it say there? Writers to the exiles. Mine says Jeremiah's letter to the captives. Okay, have you ever noticed that before? This particular chapter that we love so much that we quote all the time is actually a letter to the captives. Had, had, was, uh, was, uh, was, was they in captivity at the time that he wrote this? No, not yet. They were soon to be, but not yet. He's writing a prophetic letter to them. They're not even in captive yet. Look, look at this though, it's pretty incredible. He, and uh, he has a copy of this, Daniel does. Hear, hear these words of the letters of Jeremiah from the prophet sent to, from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which are carried away captives. I guess they are. They are in captive, captivity. He sent the letter. They're in captivity. That's strike one for me. They are in captivity. Okay. We just got to read the Bible for what it says, right? Okay. So keep, I wondered how he got the letters to start with. But if you see now, Jeremiah sent them to him. Uh, my understanding was Jeremiah was already dead, but we're, we're, we're going to put all that together tonight and see this. And to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from captivity of Jerusalem, after that Jehoiakim, the king and the queen and the, and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and the Jerusalem, the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. So he sends them this letter. And uh, let's see, 
uh, verse four, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel unto all that are carried away captives whom I've caused to be carried away. God did it. He, he caused them from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Look at what he says. I want you to build houses while you're there. I want you to plant some gardens while you're there. You're going to be there a little while. Eat, take you wives, have children, put your families together, bear sons and daughters that you may be increased and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city, whether I've caused you to be carried captives and pray unto the Lord for it, for you have peace, therefore shall uh, you have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not the prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which shall cause you to be dreamed. For they shall prophesy falsely unto you my name, for I have not sent them, uh, saith the Lord. Uh, for thus saith the Lord, verse 10, that there are, verse saith the Lord, that after how many years? After 70 years shall be accomplished. Daniel's reading this. He goes, look at this. After 70 years shall be accomplished. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you, watch this, to return to Jerusalem, to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you an expected end, hope. You will call on me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Then he goes on to say, I, I, have, I've, I have determined 70 years upon this people. Now, how many times have we read that chapter and was like, just didn't make the connection between that and the book of Daniel. It's really incredible. Uh, but here it is, and it's not just there. It's also found in Jeremiah 25. You can read it again. He says it again in, in, in that. Uh, so then Daniel, from verse 3 to verse 19, he has this incredible prayer. He goes into prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. <clears throat> and so, so really incredible. Uh, and then we get to verse 20. So let's get down to verse 20. And here's what it says. And while I was speaking, and by the way, my, my heading says the vision of the 70 weeks. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sins and the sins of the people of Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, uh, caused to fly swiftly and touch me about the time of the even oblation. He was praying and he got interrupted by an angel. And he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I've come forth to give you skill and understanding at the beginning of your supplication to, and the commandments came forth, I came to show thee you're greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks, verse 24, are determined upon your people and the holy city to make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, <clears throat> to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Okay, so 70 weeks are determined upon your people. <clears throat> It's uh, really crazy because in the Bible, you'll read about 70 weeks of weeks, 70 weeks of days, and 70 weeks of years. You read about all of those. And you know what the, how you would know the difference if you spoke Hebrew or Greek and you had the Septuagint, then you could just use the right word and you would know which one is which. Okay. So 
we don't really know that, do we? So we have 70 weeks of years because of the particular word that is used here, which you would have to know Greek or Hebrew in order to know that or to believe that. Look at verse 26. After three score and two weeks, and I'm going to ask somebody to read that in a different translation. Somebody help me out. Read that for me. Okay, read it real loud for us. Okay, so doesn't it say after seven and then somebody else read it in another translation? Okay. Okay, read it. Okay, so after, after 62 weeks of sevens, okay, so we're talking about seven-year periods, 62 seven-year periods. How much time are we talking about? 434 years. Okay, if we, if we keep reading, if we keep reading, it says... Uh, in verse 26, okay, let me just read Ollie. I, I wish I had a different translation. Would somebody read verse 25 through 27 for me in a translation that is more English? Real loud for me. Stop, stop right there. Know this, that from the going forth, there will be seven, read it again. Keep going. Okay, so we're getting a lot of numbers here. We're going to break this down. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be cool. But before we do, here's what he said. After this period of time, these, uh, these 434 years, and by the way, the 70 times 7 is how much? 400. We're talking about a period of 490 years. Okay, so let's get that down first. We have 70 sevens, 490 years. Okay, so then he, then he breaks it down a little different. He said seven sevens and 62 sevens, which is 434. Why did, why did he, we're, we're short of 490. Okay, we're short, we're short. We're, so so we, right here we have 49. And then right here we have 434. And when you add those 49 together, how much do we have? How much? 483. Now, how many weeks are we shy now? Seven. Now, what does all this mean? Okay, so first of all, he said we have seven sevens, 49. 
We have 62 sevens. Would you read that one more time just to confirm that that's what it says? The part about the seven sevens and the 62 Okay. All right. So we have, we have seven weeks. Something happens here. We have 62 weeks. Something happens here. And when you total them 483, we're still shy, aren't we? Okay. So this is the amount of time we're dealing with at first. But at the end of time, how many years are there? Seven. What is that called? The tribulation. So we have a, a period also of seven, which will give us 490. Okay, so we're going to work on all that and break it down to you and help you to see how this all makes sense. But here's what we say before we get into that. On this first part of the 62 sevens and the 770s, this time he says, you've been given this time for six specific things. Notice what it is. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All right, so let's look at these and see. First of all, when, 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 uh, when Daniel was released, when the people was released, it's interesting, we'll see this in a minute. Would you say that 490 years has passed since they've been released? <laughs> okay, so we know more, well more than 490 years have passed, right? So let's ask these questions. You tell me yes or no. Has transgression been finished completely? So man is still in rebellion against God? Okay, so how many of you would say if you have this much time for these things to happen, the first one hadn't happened yet? Okay, let's look at the second one. To make an end of sin. Has, is sin finished? Okay, no, that hadn't happened. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Well, you could say the cross might have done that, but technically... It hadn't been finished yet, okay? So we'll say maybe on verse, on number three, maybe, okay? To bring everlasting righteousness. Has everlasting righteousness come to the people of God? No, that hasn't happened. To seal up the vision of the prophecy, of the words of this prophecy. Has all the prophecies been fulfilled? No, that haven't happened. To anoint the most holy. Has he become the king of kings and the lords of lords yet? No, that hasn't happened either. So what we could say was that the time period that we're reading about is obviously more pertinent than just the time period of what Daniel saw. There must be something about the end there that will help us to see this that, that's coming on there. So first of all, in, in Daniel chapter 25, you have seven sevens, 49 years. Okay? And then we have... 62 sevens, which is 434, and you add those together and you get 483, and then one more seven with the end of time will be the uh, 490, okay? So, so whenever, I want you to see in, in one of these verses on 20, 24, 25, and 26, one of them says that when, when the people of God are released to go home and and, 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 and uh, back to Jerusalem, the time starts. So let's read those three verses again. Seventy weeks are determined upon the people in the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. This is verse 24. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, 
to seal up the vision of the prophecy and anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore, everybody say from the going forth, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay, so the first thing we need to ask is, when did the children get to go home? If we can figure this number out, the time clock starts and we know where we're at. Okay, so if, if all of that was like fuzzy a minute ago, let's try to, just try to make some sense of it, okay? What we needing to find out is when the children of Israel get to go home, did they get to go home? Did the city get rebuilt? Did the Messiah get crucified? Are you saying all that happened? Okay, so if all of that happened, all we got to do is find out when it started and we can see about how everything else is supposed to fall in line. Okay, and then we can understand more about the end. How I many of that's really exciting if we can do that? The question is, can we do that? Okay, so when did they get to go home? There's four possible answers. And you want to look at your Bible real quickly. You don't have to because we're not going to take that kind of time. We'll never get done. In Ezra 1, you remember uh, Cyrus in 538 B.C. allowed a group of, of, of the captives to go home and rebuild the temple. Anybody remember reading that in Ezra? Such a beautiful picture. And Cyrus let a bunch of them go home in 538 B.C. And he allowed them to return home. Did, were they able to do it? No, they got in conflict and they didn't have good materials. They didn't have any walls around the city. People were trying to fight them. They just, uh, it just didn't work out real good, okay? And then, so the second decree came by Darius in 517 B.C. to rebuild the temple in Ezra chapter 6. Darius also let some of them go. So one of our options is 538 and one of them was Cyrus. One of our options is 517. So another time... A decree was made by Darius. He went back and read what Cyrus had given. And he, he gave them the decree for them to be able to go home. So is that the one we're looking for? Well, another decree was given by Artaxerxes in 458 B.C. For the children of Israel to get to go home. Did, were these people successful in building the temple? No. So Artaxerxes read what Darius and and others had written, and he said, look, y'all go home and build the temple. Well, it was such an incredible struggle. They finally kind of put it together, but they all wept at the, the seeing of it because it wasn't anything like the temple before, but they were able to put some of it together. But it took a long period of time. You see how many years we're dealing with. And finally, in Nehemiah chapter 2, in 445 B.C., it's really incredible. You can read that in Ezra. He sent a group of people, he allowed, Artaxerxes allowed a group of people to go home and build the city, relay the foundations of the streets and finish the walls and build the city. So almost every scholar would say that our starting point for historical periods would be 445 BC. That's the one that we should choose. Because did you notice in the scripture, it said the lay the roads, the foundation and all that stuff, the temple and the whole thing. Otherwise, they only did the temple. So let's start with that one, 445 B.C. Okay, <clears throat> now then, 
We've established that point. All we have to do now is minus the 483 years, and we should be on track. Okay, so when you minus the 483 years, you come up with 38 years. Is everybody following what I'm saying right now? If the children of Israel were let, the captives let to go home in 445 B.C., and we are dealing with one seven and 62 sevens, which is a total of 483 years. Notice what he said. He said, when they let the children of Israel go home to the Messiah will be cut off is this period of time right here. 483 years. So all we have to do is figure out when, which one of these fits, and then we'll know which text fits the Messiah. All right, there's 38 years here. Does anybody see any problems with that? Why? <laughs> Jesus only lived 33 years. So there's already problems with that in there. You know, the funny thing about the Bible is I always find it. When I, when I, when I discover that I'm completely wrong about something, I can always say with now more than ever, confidence that if I'm wrong, it ain't the Bible, right? It ain't the Bible. See, one of the problems is the Jews only have 360 days in their calendar. How many do we have? 365. If you take 360 days, uh, excuse me, about to mess up once again. If you take, I really hate to get rid of that. Let's see, 445 B.C., somebody's going to want to see that, 483 and 38 years, okay? So if you take 483 and you add five days per year, what are, what are we looking at here? Somebody help me out. Let's see. Uh, I probably have it somewhere. Let me see if I can find it. I could do the math real quick. Let's just do the math. 15, 41, 24. 2415. All right, if you divide 2415 by 365, which is one year, how, how, how many years is that? Okay, so let's just say if you do, if you do uh, leap year, February 29th year, and all the other adjustments in the calendar, we're just going to say six years. If you minus six years from 38, what do you have? 32. The people who really know how to do this, you ought, to, you ought to read. I'm gonna see if I can get you a book, a copy of the book, and I'll let everybody borrow it. The, the guy who really knows how to do this, we're talking about 32 point something years. Listen, from, from the time that they let the children of Israel go home to the very moment that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey was the exact number of days, not even missed by one or a half. It was the exact number of days that Daniel prophesied from the return of the children of Israel to where the Messiah would be coming to the city. He would be cut off and he goes on to say that Jerusalem would be overthrown. It turns out that it, it is the exact day in the calendar 
where this takes place. Now, I want to show you something that's really amazing. If you'll take a moment to go with me to Luke chapter 19, and I want to show you something really, really staggering. Luke chapter 19. Hopefully, I'm piquing your interest on something here. Look at verse 37, Luke chapter 19 and verse 37, and it says this. And when he was come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. Now, why would they say this? Because they knew the prophecy of Daniel. And they knew that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. It was prophesied. They knew that they would throw palm branches. That was prophesied. They knew that by them doing this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that they were saying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now notice what Jesus said next. If these hold their peace, the rocks will cry out to me and praise me. That is phenomenal. But go on. I want you to see something else. I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. I want you to see what Jesus said. Verse 42, saying, watch this, everybody. If you would have known, even you, the people who it was prophesied to, what Daniel said, if you would have known, at least in this, what's those next two words? Your day. This is your day. This is the day that it was prophesied from the book of Daniel. This is the moment of time where it was prophesied that I would come into the city and they would declare that I was the Messiah. If you would have just known your day was here. Watch this. The thing which belonged unto your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that the enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass round about and keep thee on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground and the children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Because, watch this now, don't miss this. Because you didn't know your day. This was prophesied by Daniel and fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the very day of its prophecy. He came into Jerusalem and they didn't know it. They didn't see it and they didn't understand it. I just find that absolutely staggering. I know I've been going for a while. Anybody want to comment on what we've been talking about thus far? and the time periods that we're looking at. Did everybody kind of finally kind of get what we were talking about on the numbers that Daniel was throwing out there to us? Uh, Somebody said, why seven sevens first and then the other sevens after that? Most theologians and and, uh, scholars believe that that was something that also took place in that time period, but they don't know for sure, so it's just a guess. But there was that first time, the second time, but the total was the exact time in the 490 years. Now, we haven't even talked about the last one, right? The time from the release of the, of the um, bondage of the captivity to when the Messiah, 
would come in and declare himself to be the Messiah. By the way, every other time that Jesus, people wanted to declare him the Messiah, what did he say? Not time, not time, not time, not time. Not, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. But you know what he did this time? He said, disciples, go get everything ready. He said, I want you to get the donkey ready, get this ready, get ready. This is the day, today's the day. Today is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice. This time he said, this is the moment of truth right now. It's staggering right to the day of his, of his preparation. Um, oh, but what I meant to say was, there's one more year left of sevens. And that year of sevens is what the book of Revelation is all about. And I didn't use an S that time, Ashley. <laughs> okay, good deal. Anybody want to comment on what we're talking about this far? Isn't the book of Daniel incredible? I mean, if he could know those things about after Babylon, Persians and Medes, after the Persian and Medes, Greece and Alexander the Great, after Alexander the Great, then Rome. After Rome, then the Antichrist. After the Antichrist, then the kingdom of God, which he saw in chapter two. If he can know all those things, how much should we know about what's happening in our day? Let me say this. I want to say this. And I really love for you to comment, but, but if they had a day, we have a day. And brother and sister, we better know our time. Okay, please comment. Anybody want to? Go for it. <laughs> Not all at one time, just one at a time. Judy. <laughs> we don't know. That was the one that we declared that the God said, shut it up. The shut it up, Daniel. It's for the last days. So it's actually not been revealed. And that's the one I was telling you that I read for days to try to figure out what is the 2300 days. And you know, everybody was like, take this, minus this, plus this, a half that, do this, do this, do that. It just, none of it was, all of it was goofy to me. So we don't know. That is something that was going to be fulfilled in the future. Keep your eyes open. I also think it's so cool that Daniel had all that information about his time and our time, and we have information of things that we hadn't seen yet that we're going to see. We're, in the last days, we're going to understand that we've, things that we've never understood before and never known before. In fact, I want to tell you something. People's eyes are being opened all the time right now to prophecies and revelations and truths and visions and dreams that God's given people. It's really, really amazing. Okay, Robert. No, I'm not going there again this week. <laughs> we did that last week. <laughs> but thank you for the opportunity. Anybody else want to comment on what we're talking about so far? Okay, well, let's talk about this uh, last seven that we have, that we have left in, our, uh, the, in the Antichrist. Look at, look at verse, uh, let's go back to Daniel chapter nine. And uh, how many of you are like, you are an avid Daniel reader, Daniel study. You study Daniel all the time. The last three chapters of this book is um, difficult. You think what we've been digging in has been tough. Man, the last three chapters is really, really, it's really drawn from some deep wells. And so um, we're going to cover it. I'm do my best to, to cover it. But it is some deep stuff. And it's really about the end of time and the Antichrist, but it also covers a period of time um, where 
a lot of people lived in that 400 years of silence. It covers even the Cleopatra years. It covers some of the uh, leaders that we read about in history. It covers a lot of that time and actually points a lot of that stuff out. It's really phenomenal how much it covers during that what we call uh, 400 years of silence. But it always ends with the same thing. It always ends with the last seven years. And so um, it's, it's the Antichrist, and he's coming, and he's going to deal with the Jews severely and, and difficultly. So, so let's go back and uh, pick that up. Uh, verse 26, after three score and two weeks, this is Daniel 9, 26, shall the Messiah be cut off. <clears throat> you know, uh, look up here for just a minute. I want to tell you something. Do you not find it staggering that the Jews never believed that their Messiah would be killed? And yet Daniel said right here, after this number of weeks, the Messiah will be killed. And he was killed by them. They had the prophecy and they didn't believe it. I'm still scratching my head. I'm reading it. I'm seeing it. I'm understanding it. I don't understand. Do you think it was just a blindness? I wonder if God is doing that today. I, you remember this text, the scripture that says, in the last days, people would say, man, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard, I don't believe any of that anymore. I believe that scriptures may be unfolding right in front of our eyes, unbelievable truths from the Bible, and we may be discovering stuff that's unbelievable, and we can look at it, just like them, and maybe not even see it. Because I'm seeing it. Are you seeing it? After this many days, look at it again, verse 26. After three score and two weeks, the, uh, the, shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Did he die for himself? Who did he die for? You, I'm seeing that. Are y'all seeing it? Why did they? I just don't understand it. And, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Did Jerusalem get destroyed in 70 AD? It absolutely did. In 70 AD, the Romans came and they just flattened the place. Jesus said in one place, he said, hey, they said, oh, Jesus, look at this beautiful temple. He said, take a look at it. Not one stone will be left upon another. They said, when will these things happen? That's Matthew 24, remember? And a part of that was the abomination of desolation, remember? Which was spoken by the prophet Daniel right here that we're reading. I'm telling you, there's so much here that we should be seeing that should be so clear that's evidently not as clear as it should be. So Lord, help us to see it clearly. Help us to understand it more. So let's look again. The Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, but for the people, the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood until the wars of desolation are determined. Verse 27. Now, he shall confirm, watch, look at verse chapter 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for how long? One week. The one week that was missing that we had talked about. I did a good job putting that cap on there is right there in that verse. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And that is your seven-year tribulation. Look at this. By the way, I find this staggering as well. Listen, everybody 
who is fixated on the tribulation and when and how everything's going to happen. I want to tell you something. There is no time period that's mentioned more than the middle of this tribulation. It's called, I mean, you help me with some of the names that's given to it. It's called 1260 days. It's called three and a half years. What else is it called? It's called 42 months. It's called a time. How many is one time? Yeah, that's right. I wasn't trying to fool you. Uh, a time and times with an S. How many times with an S? At two or at least more than one and a half a time. If you add up one, two, you get how many? Three and a half. There's no other scripture in the Bible that is mentioned time-wise any more than the middle of this tribulation. How many of you know if you didn't know anything else, and that's not all, that's just a few. If you didn't know anything else, you got to know that in the middle of that seven years, that must be something else. What happens in the middle of that seven years? One of the things, one of the many things that happens is the abomination of desolation. That is what, that the first of this tribulation, the Antichrist is going to, he is going to confirm his covenant. He's going to make peace with Israel. You know, I thought of something the other day and I'm probably just losing my mind. I've been to Israel. <laughs> the more I study, the more I, crazy I get. My wife can confess to that. But I, we've been to Israel and up there on the, uh, the, up there where the Dome of the Rock is, there's a good bit of land there. A good bit of land there. Y'all ever been up there? Some, some of you, some of you seen it. And the Welling Wall, wherever it's at, over here, over here, wherever it's at. I thought of something the other day. It might be possible that you wouldn't even have to tear down the Dome of the Rock if the Antichrist signed a peace treaty with uh, Israel. Let's all worship together. I wonder if you couldn't just build a temple right here next to the Dome of the Rock. And I don't know. I know they're interested in building a temple, but thus far, my entire life, they wanted to tear that down. Who, what a great orator and peacemaker would come in and say, hey man, look here, let's work together on this deal. Why don't y'all, y'all keep your temple and y'all build y'all a temple right there and we'll all just, we'll all just temple together. Yeah. I mean, just because, in other words, my thoughts are like this, and it's happening to me more and more. I know I'm losing my mind probably, but, but, but everything that I used to think, I'm not thinking all that way anymore. Because as you see things coming, it looks differently than what it's ever looked before. That's why I told you last time we met, I, I always thought of Rome being rebuilt, the Roman Empire rebuilt. Rome is nothing in our day. That's nothing in our day. The Catholic Church was a big thing, and it was going to be, the, you know, the Pope was going to be a, the false religion. You know what the, the great religion of our day is? Islam. So you talk about opportunities to see things different than you've ever seen before. But anyway, back to this time. The abomination of desolation is simply this. In the temple, the Antichrist, there's the holy place and then there is the holy of holies. Here's what's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to go into this temple. He's going to offer up, in, back in Epiphanies, he offered up hogs on the, on, the, on the altars here. And he went into the holy place and he set up an image. That, that, that man of sin is going to set up an image, maybe to himself or I don't know what, in the holy of holies. And you're going to get to see it on CNN. That's going to happen. You can bet on that. Because you know why? He said, you'll see it. You'll see it. So in that three and a half year period of time, things are going to be happening. And then what's going to happen? Don't forget this. In that three and a half year period of time, that's when Jesus said, when you see the abomination 
of desolation spoken by the prophet. Stand in the holy place. Stand in the holy place. He said, if you're on the top of your roof, don't go back down. Run to the mountains as quick as possible. And then, y'all, the Bible spends 22 chapters telling of the horrors of what the Antichrist is going to do to our world. <clears throat> and, yep. Um, so the Dome of the Rock sits on the Holy Mountain. It's, what, it's what's believed. Yeah. They pray towards the temple. Which, true, which they could be praying towards the Dome of the Rock if that's where the temple used to sit. Right. And I don't mean they're praying to it. I just mean that Daniel, even in Babylon, prayed towards the temple. So in other words, if the temple in Jerusalem was that way, he wouldn't be praying that way. He'd be praying that way. So, the, but. Yeah. Right. Yes. 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 Which was, you have another point to make about that? Okay. What she's saying too is amazing. She is saying, I am affirming or confirming that what Jesus said about the temple being rebuilt is true. The very fact that the Antichrist is going to go in there affirms the fact that the temple will re be rebuilt. Here's something else I always believed, and Lord forgive me for teaching this. I always believe that the reason the Jews don't offer sacrifices anymore because God designed that so that they couldn't because Jesus is the final sacrifice. But you know what I've discovered in the last few weeks? They are going to offer sacrifices in there. They are going to offer sacrifices in there. They sure are. They're going to go back to that, which affirms everything that the Bible says. They don't have possession of that land, so, you know, Islam has possession of that land. That's why there's one coming who's going to make peace. The only way he's going to make peace with Israel is to give them their temple. And let them start worshiping God. By the way, you remember I talked about the sanctuary a few minutes ago? I didn't mention this, but if you were a Catholic and you didn't have a church or a temple or a priest, how would you get forgiveness of sins? Okay, if you were a Jew and you didn't have the temple or the priest or the sacrifice or the offering, how would you get forgiveness of sins? The Jews has got this gigantic problem. They keep on sinning and they don't have any way to get rid of their sins because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? That's why they need to fight war, do anything to get this temple because they're depending on it for forgiveness of sins. That is amazing. Well, it was in my mind anyway. I just thought... Man, all these thoughts are just like coming to me. It's like, so a lot of what I'm saying is I have no idea that this is going to happen. Just this thought ran through my head. Did I, try to, did I try to make that a 
that's going to happen. If I did, I didn't mean to. I'm just saying that possibilities are endless. Anybody else want to comment? I got plenty to say, but I just like, if you want to comment, I'd love for you to dig in here. Yes, Chris. Yeah, I think so too. Yep. I think so too. Yep. Um, Okay. I just wanted to talk to you about something we hadn't even mentioned. I can't believe you guys are not talking. I must not be doing a good job tonight. <laughs> Go ahead, Tina. I was going to say, Islam's not going to give up. That's one of the holiest places on earth for Islam. So you're saying that, you know, the Roman Catholics are not they're not going to give up. Well, they may not have to. That was my point. They might not have. See, I always said one of them is going to die and the other one's going to live. Right now, they've got the temple and they're not going to give it up. The Jews want it, and they're, they'd rather die than lose it. So a guy's going to come along and have peace. Have peace. Okay, by the way, I never mentioned this, and I was hoping somebody would. Back to our 400 and, was it 83? Okay, plus seven. There is something that we hadn't even talked about. It's gigantic. And it just so happens to be that you're living in it. And what it is, you would think that the 483 years would tag right along with the seven years and you would end up with 490 years. And remember I told you it's been a lot more years than that. We're working on 2000. So how can any of these numbers make any sense to the natural mind? They can't. Unless you understand that God put an interval between these two called the day of grace, the time of grace, the period of salvation. How long is that interval? A long time ago, they guessed it would be a lot shorter than what they thought. Right now, it's 2,000 plus years. How long is this interval of time that is going to be in this middle? So we saw that when the children of Israel were released here, to where Jesus came into the city and declared himself the Messiah was at this point right here. And then he was crucified. Jerusalem was destroyed. There's an interval right here. And we don't know when the next seven years will start. I wish one of you guys would get prophetic enough to understand a vision enough or see a vision enough to let me know when this is going to start because that would change everything for me. Could it be that somewhere in that Bible, it is in there? I guarantee you the possibilities are strong that if Daniel saw all of this and all of this and Revelation saw, I didn't put that S on there. Revelation saw all of this and back to Daniel's time, Matthew and Thessalonians saw all that they saw. The possibilities of knowing when, if we knew when that started, that would change everything. See what I'm saying? But look, when you start adding up the numbers and you go, it don't add up. Just like the 360 verses of 365 days, you just got to know that there's some differences between the lunar calendar and the, and the solar calendar. There's a lot of differences. In fact, in the, in the lunar calendar, 
not the Gregorian calendar that we use, they actually move a month every so often. They actually move an entire month. What do we do? We, we move a day, you know, so occasionally. But by the way, uh, going back to that, I hate, probably shouldn't even get into this, but there was a period of time where a possibility could have changed during uh, Joshua's day, but there was a period of time where the earth rotated and, and Mars rotated, and they said that the rotations would grow close to each other at periods of time, and it would change as the road. It didn't stay the same. In other words, if you go back and read in history, they used to have to change their calendars pretty regularly because they would get off. But then something happened where Mars doesn't come near the earth as much as it used to. And as a result of that, then time began to stay established where now our calendars, we can leave them the same. Now, how about that? You go back and study that and you'll find what I just told you, every bit of that to be true. So, and it could be Joshua that fouled that up. So anyway, but, but back to the day of grace and this period of time in the middle, that's the period of time that we're living in right now. Thank God for grace and mercy and he has established. In fact, do you know that that time right there in the middle is actually called the time of the Gentiles? Now, I want to tell you something that's very, very important so that you understand this. This last seven years is actually going to be a time that deals completely and consistently with the Jews. Okay, so I'll just say it like this. Your time is now. Jesus said they didn't know their day and they missed it and it cost them dearly. Your day is now. My day is now. Okay. And then this last seven years, God's going to be dealing with the Jews, with this Antichrist, with um, returning back to Israel. Absolutely. Anybody else? Let me show you a couple of things. Yeah, Chris. And, and while that's true, the father does know. And the day is already set. The time is at hand, and he does know. Jesus doesn't know. I don't know. You don't know, but the Father knows. And because he knows, he's revealed some things to us. And so I just wanted to show you a couple of fun things in closing. Yeah, I hope I, <clears throat> I, hope I don't get uh, too serious and too quick and, and just jump where you can't follow. Sometimes I feel like I do that, so... Hopefully I hadn't done that tonight too much. I do it a little bit anyway, but hopefully I hadn't done it too much. So I just try to settle down a little bit, you know, and uh, take it a little slower and not let my heart get all rired up, you know. Um, I want to show you uh, near and far, just a closing couple thoughts on near and far. And you don't have to turn there, but in, in the Isaiah 61, 
um, it's a prophecy. And then it's also found in Luke chapter four, uh, where Jesus said the day of the Lord is, I mean, the spirit of God is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And, and, uh, and in verse 18, you can see heal the brokenhearted and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed up the book in a comma. Go back to Isaiah sometimes when you have time and look at Isaiah 61. And Jesus closed the book in a comma. Because he didn't finish the verse. Now, why didn't he finish the verse? Because. Their day was then. But the vengeance of the Lord that he says it's going to come, that wasn't that day. So you had a near prophecy in that scripture and a far prophecy all in the same text. That's mind boggling to me. You had both near and far in that same text. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So, so, uh, <clears throat> The, in the interval of the church, Paul called this a mystery. And we see a lot of, a lot of text about this, this interval that we're in right now. And, um, and it's pretty incredible when you, when you study it. Um, I, I guess I'm going to, let me just keep on going about that. See what else I want to cover. I'm down to the last two pages. That could, that's good. And they're just notes out of the top of my brain, right? Um, uh, one of the things that Israel uh, is going to do in the future is make that peace treaty. He'll break that in the in the middle of that uh, three and a half year period. And when he does, uh, what do y'all think about the church in that period of time? And what do you think about the church be- prior to that period of time? And 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 uh, it's that's called many things in the Bible. Uh, let me let me just close with this thought. This is mind-boggling to me. I read this the other day, and it's just mind-boggling. In the Holocaust of Hitler, one in three Jews were killed. Now, we just started adding that up. Here's three, one of us. There's three, one of them. There's three, one of them. There's three, one of them. There's three. One in three Jews. But in the tribulation, one in two Jews will be killed. If you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum or, or uh, gone to some of those places, the grave sides and stuff that Tina and I have been to, it's staggering what took place. But I'm going to tell you, there's a day coming where the vengeance of the Lord is going to be poured out and the Antichrist is going to be allowed to do things. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And uh, we've looked at some of that stuff in the past and covered a lot of that stuff. I just, one more thing here. Let me tell you, I got two minutes left. The Antichrist, I just find it amazing, y'all. In the Old Testament, how many names he has? He's called the seed of the serpent, the little horn, the prince that shall come, the idle shepherd. In the New Testament, that's just, there's 33 names for the Antichrist in the Old Testament. Can you believe that? How about in the New Testament? The Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition. And it goes on and on. He's an intellectual. He's an orator. He's a politician, a financial genius, a military leader, and he's the son of the devil. I mean, the Bible is crystal clear. The the stuff that we're dealing with. 
It just blows my mind all the time. It's just how clear all this is. Some of these days we're <laughs> going to get this full picture in our mind of all of this. And we're just, it's going to blow our minds. But that's all I can do tonight. I've, I've walked down all the aisles I can. <laughs> oh, man. But I've had a good time. You know, the person that l learns the most in these studies is me. And sometimes I'm not sure that I can spill it out in a way where everybody else can understand it. I hope, I hope, I hope you gain some wisdom on this tonight. Yes. I want to be guilty of that. <laughs> I want to be guilty of that. <laughs> I really, I would really like to do something uh, in the in the weeks coming uh, after the surgery's over and I get well. I'd really like to do something. Hey, Paul, stick your head in here. Paul's gonna be speaking next week, y'all. Y'all have heard him, and you know he's he's gonna be amazing. But uh, anyway, I'd like to do something, y'all, with you. I'd like to try it, but I'm scared. You'll have to either encourage me to do it or we won't do it at all. But I would like to get a circle of us and give you some text and you go home and study like I do and I'll go home and study like I do and then let's all come together and see how deep we can dig together. I'd like to try that. Maybe we'll do it, at, maybe instead of a Wednesday night, we'll do it at our house or or at your house if you have a bigger house than we do and, and then we can have everybody or something. But I'd love for us to sit down and just where we can, everybody goes home and digs and then we can come back and un, unleashed truth where it would just be amazing. Let me pray. Uh, thank you, Lord. God, we just, uh, there's an image here that we need to see. There's a picture that Daniel saw and when he saw it, it made him ill. It made him sick. We know that there's times coming on this world. And as we look, as we look at our world today, we have that same feeling where we're sick. I just pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom like Daniel had and help us to see past what we've ever seen before. Or what we, we're not looking to know something that no one else knows. We're just looking to know the truth. Would you reveal truth to us? Even take what's been said tonight and let everyone go deeper and deeper in that truth. And Father, I thank you. Give us revelation, wisdom, understanding, and visions. We ask in Jesus' name. And we thank you. Amen. God bless y'all, everybody. Have a great, great week this week. Love you guys.